Yo, yo, welcome back to another episode of Island Spot Sports. And before we get to our guest today, we have a big shout out for, for Living Sisu. Living Sisu is a platform and app that wants to give you all the tools to have success in your sport. Their main objective is to activate your lifestyle. So for active, it's for active people. Enjoy discounts at, at companies like BioSteel, 30% off, BodyLogics, the Goalie Guild, all his books are discounted. Roan, Lululemon for men, 20% off. Online stretching programs with Eccentrics, one full month free. They got super silent massage guns, 20% off those. And it's a great quality. It's way less expensive than a Theragun. And it's a great, it's great quality. So there's so many more discounts that you guys will need to just become a member to see. So they want to provide you with anything you need for success. So come join the community. I'm a part of it. A bunch of other athletes are a part of it. So it's free to join. It takes 20 seconds to have it, to get exclusive offers to your sport. And it's definitely worth worth it. So do do us a huge favor and go sign up for Living Sisu's membership. It's free, 20, takes 20 seconds. So go do it and we'll see you there. Living Sisu is a great company. We uh, we know one of the co-founders, Zach Fricali. He's a great guy. He uh, He's the co-founder. He does a lot of live streams on Instagram at, uh, at Living Sisu. And with a bunch of elite athletes and you learn a lot from like the athletes determination the resiliency everything to what me made them become successful so it's been a great experience so far so go on i'm gonna leave uh the link in the description so uh go sign up yo welcome back to another episode of on spot sports i'm jack and today's episode we are joined by a very special guest former Toronto Maple Leafs goalie coach and NHL goaltender Steve McKeegan. Steve is the former goalie coach with the Toronto Maple Leafs of the National Hockey League and since has created future pro goaltending. Keeks has also played in the NHL with the Vancouver Canucks, the IHL with the Milwaukee Admirals, and the East Coast Hockey League with the Virginia Lancers. So this is, I've been getting so many requests to get you on the podcast, Steve. So it's going to be nice to get you on. So this is going to be a great episode. So welcome to the show, Steve McKeegan. Well, appreciate you having me on. I'm sure my my mother's been doing all the requests because I I don't have a ton of fans out there. It must be my family. I I, I think it was a stack of pads goaltending that was that kept requesting you. So it's definitely uh, but I'm sure your your parents were in there somewhere just requesting you. But uh, I'm glad to get you on, and I'm excited to get you on the show. Appreciate it. Love talking goaltending anytime. Yeah. So um, how how have you been? Like it's been like a crazy last few years and everything, but like, how's everything going with you and how's this summer going? Well, we just finished the summer camps year 32. There was uh, 1,200 goalies go through the camps throughout North America. Um, and then we're back into doing association clinics now, my private lessons and um, been staying busy getting the YouTube videos back up um, starting again on Monday of next week in season four, I think it is. And we do an e-mentor program where kids all over the planet can reach out and have their own NHL goalie coach and watch their videos, um, reach out to them on the phone and just basically be their NHL goalie coach resource for their season, no matter where they live on the planet. So that's what I'm doing to keep busy, plus the cars. Yeah, that's awesome that you're still going strong and helping everyone from like the camps, the e-mentorship and everything in between. And like, you can't, can't go wrong with cars. Like you just got to continue to, have that hobby and just enjoy the, 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 the future of the cars. 
Well, I, I wanted to be a goalie in the NHL because I loved cars and I knew that was the only way I'd be able to afford collecting cars. And it, it ultimately ended up um, paying off. But, you know, back when I got started doing goalie coaching over uh, 34, 35 years ago, there was no such thing as this industry. There was summer camps and hockey schools, but in season, there was no such thing as a private lesson, mentor programs that we'd started, um, association clinics. There was none of that in the winter. So basically when I kicked off, it was trying to create an industry that, you know, could help goalies. And that's why we started it back in the day. That's all I knew was coaching goalies. Yeah. So like how has like the industry of goaltending and goaltending coaching changed? And even in the last few years since like, obviously you started and like, there's nothing. And then all of a sudden there's, it's like everywhere you go, there's goalie coaches, goaltending and everything in between. It's like, how has, how have you noticed the change and like the impact that it's had on the game? Well, I love it that there's so many goalie coaches available now because a lot of goalies would go their whole career without any help. Yeah. Um, you know, there's just like in any industry with auto mechanics or whatever, there's, there's going to be a wide variety and credentials and credibility of the people. So, I mean, as, as many goalie coaches as there are, which I love, there's, there's some that, you know, basically just pick their knowledge up off the internet, which, you know, which is fine because it can help some kids. But the video I have coming out Monday on YouTube is about, um, the wisdom part of the equation when you're a goalie coach and that applies to teaching kids game reads and understanding stuff at a level that you, you can't get from the internet. So we get a lot of goalies, I think are going to be highly skilled, can do a bunch of cool things on Instagram, but ultimately they'll end up maybe not going as far as they want because their goalie coach doesn't have the ability to talk to them about what's it like to be a pro. Um, you know, and some of the things you can't get unless you've actually been at that level. So I think it's great. The goalie coaching is available for everybody, but I think you have to be careful that you just don't become a really pretty goalie on a studio rink that never ends up going anywhere because your goalie coach doesn't know what comes next. Yeah. So like, but when people are like trying to pick out their goalie coach, like what is the difference between like a great goalie coach and like an average goaltending coach? Is it just the pretty much the experience and just playing at that pro level or like what exactly like helps you decide if this is the goaltending coach for you? I think the key thing when you're looking at is number one, relationship wise, do you trust the goalie coach and vice versa? Um, do they have an ability to teach? You know, my background was university and education and being a teacher and being a teacher doesn't guarantee you can coach, but it certainly doesn't hurt. So I would look at, you know, did the kid pick up coaching goalies because he went to camps watch stuff online? Is he mimicking what his goalie coach taught him? Is there any outside breadth of experience, but I'm learning from different goalie coaches, which is important because none of us know the whole thing. So I think when you're selecting a goalie coach, you want to find somebody that's professional as far as they're doing it for a living. Like they're making their earnings from that as a true yeah. profession. They're not living at home with mom and dad and, you know, working a side hustle. That is their number one hustle. If they've played at higher levels, it'll help. Um, and then also just professional, not canceling lessons, showing up on time when they're doing the lesson, their hats on forward, their track suits done up. Um, they, they do a, a pre-analysis of the lesson of what you want to work on. And then there's a post analysis where you talk to the parents, what we accomplished, what they need to work. So I guess I can say, just find somebody that's doing it for a living, not a guy that's doing it as a hobby. Yeah. And that, that's a, that's a really good point, especially like with the, with the relationship part of it, because you want to, you want your goalie coach to trust in you and you want to trust in your goalie coach. So like vice versa, like you said, like both goes both. It's a two way street. 
So like just having that relationship and being able to go to him when games, when you have good games, when you have bad games and he can, it's not going to sugarcoat anything and just tell you straight up about if something was wrong, like you're going to fix it. Or if like something was right, just to keep doing the reps and just keep getting better. Right. And like, I got an example, I won't mention names, but I, I've had a lot of work with a, a certain kid as an example, and he grew his game. He, um, he ended up winning Memorial cup world juniors um, and drafted to the NHL highly and never panned out. And part of it was his goalie coach was also a kid that I'd coached since he was little and certified him as a coach had only ever played high school hockey in Michigan. And so when this kid got to the pros, his goalie coach that he dealt with really isn't much of a resource to tell him how to manage his life as a pro and understanding different scoring chance analysis and this type of stuff at the higher levels because his coach hadn't played at that level. So it would be like you going to the corner and asking the corner mechanic to work on your F1 Ferrari um, that you see on TV that's a $10 million car. The guy at the corner knows how to fix a Buick. He doesn't know how to fix a Ferrari. And I think that's one thing that you do see. If you truly want to become a high-end goalie that plays on after college, you need to have a goalie coach that's been there, done that, because the other people are just guessing or pulling off stuff that they found online. Yeah, that, that's a good point. Like, just that experience as a pro, like, it's going to help you in the long run because, like, when, when you make that transition into the professional ranks or wherever, like, you're – not you have you have a lot to learn like especially from like the outside of the game part like where you're just like trying to be a pro and act like a pro so like if you don't have that then it's going to be a lot harder but if you have like a goalie coach that's been through it all like he knows what to do and like he can give you a lot of good tips to help you settle in and and make that transition a bit more easier yeah no question I think you know a lot of times as goalies we we fall in love with things that sort of waste our development time. So, you know, I love goalie gear. We all love goalie gear, yeah. but I can guarantee you kids will spend hours watching gear setups, uh, strapping graphics, all that stuff we love with goalie gear, but they can't take a backhand clear off the glass with a goalie stick to save their life. They spent 10 hours this week online looking at the cool true pads or, you know, how Vasilevsky attaches this strap and they can nail that inside note or play a ton of, you know, online chell but you think they could actually handle the puck in the real life situation with pressure? Not a chance. Not, not I think that's one of my things that I try to caution kids at love your hockey and love all that stuff, but you got a very small development window. And if you're spending any percentage of time fiddling around with VR goggles that don't let you do butterfly saves or goofy stuff, catching muffins from 30 feet, that's not hockey at the higher levels. And all you're doing is just hastening your arrival at the beer leagues. That's all that's doing. You're just getting to the beer leagues sooner than later. Yeah, that, that, that's a good point. Like earlier, you talked about like having like multiple goalie coaches, not just sticking with one. So you think it's important to just explore goaltending, the goaltending side of coaches and just be able to just learn from other goalie coaches because not everyone does the exact same. I think it's crucial because um, for several reasons, suppose you're an elite athlete, you start off young and you make it all the way up to the pros you're going to probably have four or five different goalie coaches anyways. Like the Toronto Maple Leafs have a coach. They have a minor league coach. They'll have a coach when you play division one or in the OHL. And a lot of goalie coaches I've seen in my experience get very possessive of their kids where they say, I'm the only guy that, you know, can coach that kid and don't listen to that goalie coach. I'm the opposite. I, I don't know that much about goaltending. And I know that if you can have 
goalies learn from a lot of other goalie coaches with a good critical filter. It won't screw the goalie up. Just listen to everything somebody tells you, put it through the critical filter. Is it going to help me be a better goalie or not? And then add it to your game or don't put it in your game. But to just have one goalie coach think that he's going to take you all the way to the NHL, not going to happen. As an example, I worked with Jeremy Swayman um, when he was a kid in Anchorage, Alaska, and he's had lots of great goalie coaching at Maine and all the way up through. So I'm not the only guy that's ever coached. And I think it's important that you have lots of goalie coaches. And I think the three current goalies I have in the NHL, Logan Thompson, him, Swayman, um, and Jack Campbell, all have had lots of goalie coaches. And they made it to the NHL because they've got a, a combination of all that knowledge from all their different goalie coaches. Yeah, for, for sure. And like, just to have like that knowledge of everyone, just bring it all together into your game. Like it's, it, I think it'd be beneficial for, for anyone, especially like, especially if you're trying to go up the, the higher levels and get into the professional ranges, having that wide range of coaching, not just from one guy is, is key. Yeah. And also I think it's an important thing for your goalie coach to be honest with you about what the challenge you have in front of you. And you know, I, I try to be super supportive and take hockey as far as you can and do the best you can. But everybody that knows me knows, like when I talk to scouts weekly about placing some of my kids on different teams, the very first question from OHL, Division One, and all these teams, what size is the kid? And I don't like it. I don't enjoy it. And I hate being the canary in the coal mine, keep mentioning it. But you're not playing in the NHL unless you're 6'2". And there's people say, well, yeah, UC Saros. And that's a perfect example of a kid that can't, but he is an outlier. And we know generally how next to impossible it is to make the NHL in the first place. Now add on the fact you're five foot 10 and you've made it incrementally, massively harder to accomplish. And that shouldn't discourage a kid from playing when they're going to be smaller, because if you're playing hockey just to make the NHL, you're playing hockey for the wrong reason. If you play hockey because you love the sport and become the best you can, there's no failure in that. That's a successful athlete. But if you play hockey to make the NHL, you're setting yourself up for failure. Yeah, that that window to play in the NHL is so so small. And just like if you're not like UC Soros, for example, like he's 5'10, like he's had to do a lot more to for himself to help him get to the NHL level since he is on the, on the smaller side of goaltending and just, so like, what are, what, what are younger goalie or like smaller goalies supposed to do to help, help them get that, get that edge of, get that edge over the competition, especially if they're six, two, six, three, six, four, even to just go into uh, the professional ranks. Doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be NHL. Well, I think, yeah, there's lots of other levels and colleges yeah. and stuff that you can play if you're not going to be that tall, but I mean, you know, you look at the goaltender for the London Knights, Brett Rochu, he's five foot 11. He's been the OHL player of the year, best goalie of the year. And he hasn't got drafted to the NHL three years in a row because he's five foot 11. So if you're not going to be tall, try to identify all the parts of your game that are broken and fix it and try to become the best you can be. And maybe that gets you to D3. Maybe it gets you to play senior hockey. Um, I think as a mindset with young athletes, kids are drummed into them too much that if you don't make the NHL, you're a failure and you should be surprised if you make it not disappointed. If you don't, that's yeah. the mindset you need to have. You shouldn't be playing to make the NHL. You should be playing just to become the best goalie you can. And wherever that takes you, take your life lessons and become a great human and great citizen. And don't be upset if you don't make it. Just be surprised when you do. 
Yeah, and like you take so many lessons and apply it to your everyday life, especially with the game of hockey and goaltending. Like you just gotta just take everything in and just be a be a sponge and learn a lot, and then apply it to your everyday life as well as the game of hockey and having fun and loving the sport. And you know, I think along those lines about moving on, I get a lot of questions from parents over thirty two years. You know, does my kid have it? Do you see anything in my kid? And being an NHL scout, that's, you know, right up my alley. And I said, well, have you ever had to ask your kid to work harder? And because every kid, they all get training, they all get technical yeah. training. But the key thing is if you've got an, in, an intrinsic pathological work ethic, you can go a long way. But I get a lot of kids that are driving range goalies that do, you know, a billion $75 lessons and they can, you know, eyes over the puck and they can do this and they can do that. And they're a bag of hammers when it comes to real games. Like you, you have to have this pathological push off the ice to be ridiculous on your dryland training. Because when you get to the NHL, it'll shock you how great of condition the guys are that are already there and how they maintain that condition. It's not something that you're going to make it on your ability. You're going to make it on your off ice ability combined with your on ice ability. Those two things go hand in hand. Yeah. And like, I've since like for like probably the last almost 10 years like I've learned that off ice training is definitely definitely like you could be on on the ice as much as you can but if you're not doing anything off the ice like your game's gonna just stay the same but like once you add on that that ability for like or that extra add-on for off-season training and just going to the gym stretching mobility all that hand-eye like your game and your development's gonna gonna exceed your expectations gonna take you to a, to a whole nother whole nother level and another one you see quite often are, um, you know, kids that get cut and they whine about politics and they whine about nepotism and favoritism and I didn't get a chance and I was just as good as the guy they kept and all that. And those are, are comments of losers because when you have to make a team, you have to be overwhelmingly awesome yeah. at the tryout. And I had a kid that I was working with recently, he got cut and he was all upset and he says he didn't get a fair shake. And I said to him, well, what would happen if you took Carey Price in his prime and he tried out for that team? Would he make it? And they're like, oh, yeah. Well, there's your answer. You're not overwhelmingly awesome. So the question is, how do you become overwhelmingly awesome? So they have no choice but to keep you is you have to systematically and with vigor identify all the things you suck at and make them all strengths with a plan of action. And if you have a goalie that's removed all of their weaknesses, you got a kid that can play at the higher levels and make these teams. And the other point about the nepotism and politics, there is always, always going to be coaches that cut for their friend's kid and all that stuff, or they got a big guy because he thinks he's better, but whatever. The key is you want that. And people look at me like I have three heads. You want that scenario because that's the way it's always been. Yeah. And that's the way it always will be. And everybody in the NHL has come through and arisen through politics. It's almost like a filtering process where the people that can't hack the politics and nepotism quit, complain, whine, bitch and moan that they got screwed over because of it. Instead of pushing through every guy you see on TV got treated like shit all the way up through minor hockey and all the way up yeah. through college and everything. And they rose above it. That's how you temper the steel. That's how you harden the steel. So there's not one guy there in the NHL that played on the best team, coached, patted him on the back. Everybody loved him. And their, their rise to the NHL was like this. There was a bunch of shit kicking all the way. And now you got a mentally tough, physically tough athlete. So I tell people, you gotta, you gotta welcome and relish it when people screw you over because that's actually helping you decide whether you can hack it or not. 
Yeah, and like you always, you would all, you always should want want the challenge because nothing's gonna be easy to get to. Like you're gonna face adversity, no matter what you do in life or in sport. There's stuff that's gonna come up, and you're gonna have to get over the top and get over those obstacles. So you, you just gotta embrace the challenge and just be and just rise to the rise to the top. Just be a uh, that amazing that amazing goaltender that you are, and just rise to the top and make sure that they don't they don't want to that they want to keep you and don't want to release you right and that's that's the best things for all the kids that are just coming through tryout season right now if you got cut ask yourself if carrie price tried out for the team would he make it he would be enough to yeah. overcome politics and you can do it too if you remove all the excuses in your game and and get rid of your weaknesses yeah a- absolutely and so you're uh you've been a goalie coach for three years you were a goalie coach for three years with the with the Maple Leafs, and you've you've coached James Reimer, Vesta Toskalad, Belfort throughout your time. So, like, what have you noticed about them that like really like like they're that because they're in they're elite goalies, obviously. So, like, what has what did they do to help help uh, make sure that they stay where they are and that they're gonna be a uh, longtime NHL goalies? I think the biggest thing there's two parts there like how do you work with an nhl goalie who's already there and number two is like what do nhl goalies do that are different than other people and then to the second part of that they don't do things crazy amazingly awesome like that i think that's a misperception like when i've worked with hall of famer eddie belfort um just very consistent repeatable stuff and they don't fall for gimmicks or technical flavors of the month where panda this rbh that like they'll they they will put in things they think can help but they've got a good critical filter the thing is they're not that amazingly awesome at each individual part of their game but they're amazingly consistent and the other thing is they've got great bounce back ability so when they crap the bed the next game they're probably about a 940 950 save percentage the other factor too is when you're coaching NHL goalies, it's not like all the drilling and, and goofy stuff you see on Instagram. Um, it's very fundamental stuff on positional rebound control and puck handling stuff. And it's not the drills you see on Instagram. It's very simple. Like a major league baseball hitter, for instance, half the time they'll be under the state under the stadium hitting off a tee, which is what they did when they were nine years old. And with goalies in the NHL, a lot of times we'll work on something very basic. Um, about getting stick involvement on a certain shot or getting a jump on the pass. You arrive at your target early. So very fundamental crease movement. So NHL guys are consistently strong, not amazingly awesome at everything, but consistently strong. And the other thing, coaching them, a lot of young goalie coaches made the mistake. I think when they coach higher end goalies of trying to be super technical and crazy drill this level we go here we go there we do this we do that and the puck goes here puck goes there that's not what happens in the nhl it's very simple very static very basic yeah and like that's a that's a good point especially like you're just wanting to do the or have keep a foundation just do like the simple stuff like repetitions just that's what i've been doing with my goalie coaches like we'll just do like reps of just fun fundamentals and just it's simple, but like it's very effective and just like rebound where you place your rebounds, just rebound control, just stick handling, just going back to the basics and everything. Like it definitely does like help you understand the game a lot better and like to be able to just be consistent about it, like is also huge and key to a goaltender's success. No question. Yeah. So like what what has been like your favorite thing about being an NHL goalie coach when you're with the Maple Leafs and just being able to be 
to coach these guys that are have had Hall of Fame careers and are one of the are the top goaltenders in the league. Well, coaching the NHL is cool, and a lot of young goalie coaches want to get there. But you know, I've played there, and um, it's not the job you think it is. You got very limited time to work with the goalies because you can't hurt the starter in morning skates, yeah. and the backup tends to get sick of doing the drills after working with you every single day for the whole season. So um, you get your pre scouts done. You don't need to keep redoing them. So once you got your system in place at the NHL level, the job's actually a lot of standing around eating gourmet food and flying on cool planes. But you're away from your family. So honestly, I prefer working with a seven-year-old kid at a town of a population 2,000 than I do working with Hall of Famers. It's great to work with high-end goalies. I do see a lot of goalie coaches that only want to work with the best. I, I like to work with the worst, whether it's an adult goalie, or seven-year-old that doesn't know how to hold his stick because goalie coaching is goalie coaching. And, and that was one of the coolest things I'd say about being in the NHL. I'd do a morning skate in Toronto and work with the Holly hall of famer, Eddie Belfour, and then go to a clinic in Thedford, Ontario that night, seven-year-old first time on the ice. So in the scope of one day, I'm working with one of the best that's ever lived to a kid that does have an idea who Ed Belfour is and just wants to stop a puck and have fun. So I actually enjoy working with the little kids better and from a business point of view, that kid's going to be at the camp for six years. So it's far more lucrative to work with the young ones than it is to work with the expensive high-end guys. Yeah. So is that the reason like why you created uh, Future Pro is just to help help the help from everyone from like if they don't know how to hold the stick correctly to just being that elite level goaltender. And like, so like what were the origins behind creating Future Pro? Well, when I first got hurt, um, I had to retire from the NHL because I got checked from behind by Tony Twist. I started teaching public school because I have my teaching degree. So I taught second grade and started doing the goalie schools on the side and the private stuff. And eventually that took off to the point where we were getting five, 600 kids every summer. So I didn't have to teach anymore. And it's a great job. You got a ton of free time and you get to help goalies get better. And basically you get to stay in hockey. And that was the biggest thing I missed when I retired from hockey was the dressing room and being around the guys and the actual hockey stuff. And I never had to miss that because I moved right into to coaching goalies. So um, I think it's a great, great gig because it's extremely lucrative, which is why you see 8,000 people trying to do yeah. it. And um, I think it's awesome that there's a lot of goalie coaches out there. And I was glad to maybe start something that um, wasn't really going back in the past. Yeah, so how has uh, Future Pro goaltending um, like improved since like the start to like where you're at now, 32 years later, and just like the the upward trend that you guys are probably on right now, and just to see everyone from when you first started working with them to where they're at now. I think uh, you know it's continued to grow, but I'm more proud of sharing knowledge. So like uh, you know, I probably know 10% about goaltending, and I've picked up 90% from other people. And I learn, I have a good critical filter. So I continue to learn, hunger to learn, watch Instagram stuff. Lots of great stuff that I add into my yeah. repertoire. A lot of stuff I discount because it's, it doesn't make any sense. But I'm, I think, more proud of all the goalie coaches that have come through and the knowledge that I've tried to give out. Like all the stuff I put out on YouTube and the books I've written and the videos and stuff and the DVDs are all about passing knowledge around that I've compiled from other people much smarter than me. So I think it's grown to this point just because of just tireless pathological work ethic to outwork people. I've seen probably 15 goalie schools come and go because they, you know, they can't sustain it because you can't sustain a goalie program 
by just hundred percent stuff you'd see online. You have to, yeah. you have to push and you have to keep working. Yeah. That that's a, that's a great point. Like you just, you love to see everything that from like when you first started where you're at now, like you just love to see like that, how, how things have changed, how goaltending has changed and how everything has has improved since since then like everything is a lot more easier to get in touch with get like all the different resources are literally at your fingertips so it's it's incredible to see how far everything has come and how far the position of goaltending has come as well i love the technical changes and it, it you know i wish i knew a lot of this stuff when i played because obviously i don't teach how i played i played like bill ranford on acid just kicking on everything diving poke checks flying my ass all over the place and that's not what you teach and I think as a young goalie coach, if you can have a hunger to see the new techniques, understand critical um, analysis to see if it makes sense that, you know, you're going to be a better goalie coach. But like, I mean, when I started, I invented um, white pucks, mini pucks and clear pucks 30 years ago. I started off using white rubberized roofing compound on the pucks because I thought it, you know, be harder to see and actually got that idea initially um, because there's a major league baseball hitter from the Mets. And his dad would put him in a pole barn with a pitching machine with the lights dimmed down and he could hit a hundred mile an hour ball off the machine and almost in the dark. And once he got out to the field in the sunlight, he could see the seam rotation like anything. And I said, well, how can we do that for hockey? Cause the rinks, you know, you can't goof with the lights. Yeah. So that's the Genesis for how I came up with the white pucks and the mini pucks are next. And then we have clear pucks that were like rubber but completely translucent. You can see right through them. Um, wow. So those are another things that, you know, we brought to the game, deflection boards, peekaboo screen boards, all that stuff. But it's just, you know, I've learned more and, and took in stuff from other people more than I've ever created for sure. Yeah. That, that, that's awesome. And just talking about the the technical stuff, like the, the new Panda overlap came into place. So like what's your take on the Panda? It's actually in the new video that I have coming out on Monday about YouTube and I think it's a lot of goalie coaches try too hard to make a mark by saying, okay, let's call it the panda. Let's call it the giraffe from Iran. Who get? But by definition, you're talking, talking about covering three or four square feet of net on a poor angle shot. And people are bending themselves backwards to try to figure out how to stop that. Like, seriously, Jack, can you stop a puck from going in a mini stick net? Can you do that, Jack? Yeah. Right. So on a poor angle, the net's the size of a mini stick net and people are coming up with all these contortions on how you're trying to stop a puck on a mini stick net. It's not rocket appliances. Right. And so with that Panda, I know it's like a modified version of the overlap where your chest is basically more square up to center ice. The fundamental problem is guys from over there wasting shots. You're creating a a surface. that's going to cause a slot rebound. If it comes off you, you're setting your chest up to put that in the kill zone. So you're worried about, this guy might wrap it or this, that there's so many goalies that worry about shit that might happen instead of what's likely going to happen. And I think, you know, I'd rather see more overlap the RBH of the guys within a stick length and never a Panda, unless you want to purposely to set up pucks in the low slot on a golf tee to let a guy cork it in the empty net. All the Panda's doing is encouraging slot rebounds and maybe make you get back to wrap around quicker. And it's the flavor of the month. Hey, it's the Panda. You know what's next month, Jack? We're going to do the uh, thermometer save just because it's cool. I'll tell you about the thermometer save next week. Yeah, it's definitely a, definitely an interesting technique. And like, yeah, like, like you said, like you're literally putting everything that comes off your chest into the slot. And if 
and anyone could anyone's going to bury that so it's definitely not putting it in the right spot where you want to especially like when everyone's telling you to not to put it into the corners with not non-dangerous areas like you're putting it in high high real estate right there i think the other thing that you see a lot of times with goalies and this is one thing they always stressed when we played professional is do your job and if you look at bill belichick with the patriots the number one thing he says is do your job and he's a good uh, guy to study for a couple of reasons. He's not wordy. He doesn't use big words. Like uh, Belichick's not going to go in the dressing room and uh, with the football players and say, you got to use sequential derotation. You got to use head trajectory. You got to use, you know, a lot of guys I see when a goalie coach uses the big trendy words, buzzwords, they're trying too hard. And I always try to use the Bill Belichick mindset. Just keep it simple. Yeah. Do your job. And a perfect example is a lot of times goaltenders uh, end up worried about scenarios where they're not trusting their D to do their job. Perfect example is being very flat on the goal line and letting a backdoor pass come through the blue paint, open to make a heroic backdoor save, which I think a lot of times was the genesis for the RVH, which I think does have application and should be used at the right time. But I mean, the best save you'll ever make Jack is one you don't have to make. And, you know, if you square up the yeah. guy at a poor angle, make a nice wide butterfly and get your stick involved, you're protecting most of that backdoor pass from happening doesn't mean you're not going to try to get over there, but I think goalies would be better served if you do your job and you trust your D to do their job. If they fuck up, screw up, sorry, beep, you have to still have to get over there to battle. And that's not exonerating you from responsibility, but there's nothing worse in my mind. Goalie out of square, worried about a backdoor pass, getting sniped short side cheddar, which you see a bazillion times on the RBH. And a guy's gapped out 20, 30 feet. That's as bad as letting a bouncer in from center. That's not a snipe. That's a guy that's not respecting the front door. Yeah. And like you see it all the time, especially last year in the NHL, goalies would get beat from the RVH from like five, from like mid, mid circle, like in the R, in the RVH. And like it's literally just that room that they don't, they're not like, they aren't like they're cheating a little bit on that. And like you, like you don't you don't want to see that because like like I, I know you said in a lot of other goals like within a stick length like you want to be in the RVH other than that you don't want to be in the RVH because it, it does expose top shelf and short side uh, a ton during that time so like what what is your is your take like just a stick length away from from the puck and other than that just stay on your feet well, I mean, every goalie is different and there's going to be some yeah. size factors there too. If you're six, six, it's a whole different scenario. If you're five foot eight, it changes your, how you deploy. It. And that's another critical yeah. thinking skill. How does the technique and tactic work for you and your height and your ability? Um, more mobile guys can do different things. But for me, there's a guy in the poor angle. You have to have an off puck read. Do you trust your D getting the guys on the other side? Is it your sixth defenseman or your first defenseman? which may be a better guy at breaking up the pass to the back door. So this stuff doesn't happen in a vacuum. And I think that's a weakness. A lot of goalie coaches say, if the puck is here, you do this. Yeah. If the puck is there, you do that, which is a mistake. Because like, for instance, when you're taking quick looks off the puck, Jack, you're not only identifying there's a guy open, you're identifying what hand he is and who he is. Yeah. Because if it's Sidney Crosby, it's a lot different than if it's Joe Bender. And too many goalies have no idea that there's a guy in the back door, number one, what hand he is or who it is. And also you have to know your personnel. So your question about, should you do the RVH, this or that, 100% dependent on the whole scenario. Do you trust the time and space that he doesn't have? Or does he have a lot of time and space based on the personnel? Me, I would rather see a lot of tighter stances, 
overlap. And if there's a sense or a hint that he might wrap it, once he gets closer, then you can get into the RVH and still get over to that post. So I think it's situationally dependent, Jack. Yeah, that, that that's a very good point because like there is no one way to do it. Like you just you just got to do whatever you can to stop the puck and just having that. There's different situations, different scenarios that you're gonna play the puck differently. It's like everyone's gonna play the puck differently. So you just gotta it's based on like situation, like you said. Like I, I think that's a really good point. And the hand of the guy too, and yeah, you know it completely changes it. But again, I'll summarize it. You're trying on a poor angle, like a low angle drive from outside the dot, or shot or a drive to the net. You're protecting a mini stick net, not a soccer net. Yeah. So just do less to do more on those. It's not. It's not crazy and hard save to make. It's a tiny net. Yeah. Exactly. So you've you've played in you played a game in the NHL when you're playing with the uh, Vancouver Canucks. And you spend a ton of time in the NHL with or with and around guys there. So, like, what were some of the biggest things you learned throughout, like, your playing career, getting up to that NHL level and being able to suit up for a game? I think the biggest thing I learned was that you have to prove a lot of people wrong because there's always going to be doubters and people telling yeah. you you can't do something. And um, I didn't make it because I wanted to make it. I made it because I wanted to prove people wrong. And everybody's motivation is different. But in my case, I was motivated by people telling me I couldn't do something. So at a young age, I started a doubter's diary where I wrote down every time somebody told me I couldn't do something, whether it was Miss McNeil in second grade, you know, on career day, I want to play for the Maple Leafs. And she wrote in a primary pencil, no, you can't. You got to pick something realistic. And college coach saying I was too scrambly or whatever it was, all the way up to the minor leagues and then to the NHL. And when I played my first game in the NHL against New Jersey Devils on December 5th, 1990, after the game, I kept meticulous notes in my daughter's diary of all these people, plus the current contact info. So I went into Brendan Burn Arena, New Jersey, after I got off the ice. And I started calling people on the old rotary phone because that's before cell phones. I called Miss McNeil. I called my junior B coach. I called my college coach. And I said, thank you for motivating. And I used all the negativity, the bazillion injuries, all the bad crap that happens to motivate myself to make it to prove people wrong. And I think that's what I learned about the NHL is it's, it's not the best guys that make it. It's the guys with pathological motivation that make it plus some talent. Yeah, that's a that's a great way to put it with like, especially like proving that all the doubt is wrong, because there's going to be doubters no matter, no matter where you are in life, like people are going to be like, oh, you can't do this. Like, people have always told me like, yeah, you're not going to do that. Yeah, whatever. Like, you're, you're making a fool of yourself. But it's like, I just, I just put my head down just work and like, just grind and just try to try to prove people wrong and just uh say that I, I can do it. And like, people have always told me like, yeah, you're not, you're not good enough. And I'm, I'm hopefully signing soon for my first year pro. So I was like, you're proving people wrong. And like that, there's no better feeling like when you do go on to whatever you want to do and just have those doubters that were with you. And like, they try to just be your, be your fans now. And you're like, no, you doubted me. Yeah. I think another factor that I did notice was that the parents, play little role in you making it but they play a big role in you not making it and part of it is attribution of cause and effect so I'll give you an example like my dad was a mechanic never skated didn't know anything about hockey never car coached me never screamed at the ref never whined at the coach for playing time never got calls to the coach that cut me 
he just showed up and smiled and weird. I was still able to make the NHL never once told me to work hard, never suggested do this, do that. Just supported me, brought me to the rink. And even when I played in the NHL, all he ever said to me was, Hey, how about that? To this day, nothing's ever been said about it. So I think a lot of times parents, although well-intentioned, are hurting their kids' chances. And as an example, it'll be stuff like car coaching where they'll say, oh yeah, your team was crappy. They went through five guys and it wasn't your fault. Or they'll say stuff like, well, the coach didn't play the right guys or play you against the right team or you didn't get to play in the right tournament. So they setting up this scenario where the, the kid learns to blame outside factors all the time. At the end of the day, it's you. Yeah. And um, the puck doesn't have to go through five guys to get to you. They could go through five guys, but it's still your job to stop the puck. Yeah. If it was the job of the five guys to always prevent shots, they don't need a goalie. So parents, if I have any advice for them would be stop blaming the refs, stop blaming the crappy team in front, not clearing your rebounds and make it about you, the goalie, because if it, if you're going to always be blaming outside factors, you're going to be working at Swiss chalet or, Dunkin' Donuts. You're not going to be playing on TV if it's everybody else's fault all the time. Yeah, and like you have you have a job, and that's to stop the puck. Like if you're not doing that, you're not doing your job. So you just gotta. So don't blame other people. Like a lot of people just blame the blame the defense, blame everyone else. But like you you still have to stop the puck no matter what. Like it's your job, so you just gotta do what you what what your job entails entails entitles you to do, and that's stop the puck. And like when I'm scouting, I, I look for body language. I look for swagger. I look for how a goalie comports himself on the ice when things aren't going their way. And I tell people, you don't want to be a Steve Mason, you know, where the puck goes in off your defenseman and your palms up looking at your defenseman like it's his yeah. fault. And Bennington running around acting super tough when he, he's built like a, a leaf. Like he's, you know, you don't want to be that guy. You, yes, you want to have emotion. You want to care. But yeah. to be a stick banger, stirring up crap or blaming your defense, don't be that guy. Just have calm. Like, look at Carey Price, how he plays. Once in a while, he'd lose his temper a little bit. But for the most yeah. part, well-controlled, worry about your job, and just be professional. Don't be into all the drama, stick swinging, and all that crap. Yeah, and, like, it'll help, it'll help your emotions stay in check when you just find that, like, routine where it's like you're staying calm like yes everyone's going to lose their cool once in a while but not every game every other game and you're just going to do whatever you can uh just like even meditating like helps like i've noticed that like it helps like your emotions stay in check and especially when things do get wild like they can sometimes like you're just in, in check and you're not swinging your stick around or anything like that you know that's emotional intelligence and being under control and i, I give goalies some you know, obviously I've coached Eddie and, you know, his background with when it comes to that, but he never won a Stanley cup till he got his shit under control. Yeah. He wasn't being losing his mind because the other team would just egg him on and he'd be losing his stuff. And once he got some emotional control, that's when he won his cup. And I always use the example of Mika Kippersaw from Calgary flames. He let in a piece of crap goal from center ice, or he'd make a backdoor save that's on the highlights for three weeks. And in between the whistle, helmet would come up, get a drink, and you couldn't tell by looking at his face after a big save or a shitty goal what just happened before that because he had a calm, even demeanor. And teams really feed off of that. Um, they don't like to see guys that are reactive and, and crazy, like calm, consistent, reliable, professional goaltending. That's, I think, a goal for every goalie, just to stay calm and controlled and in the moment. Calm, cool, and collected. That's all it is. Yeah. 
Yeah. So before you got into the NHL, you're with you were in the International Hockey League with the Milwaukee Admirals and you're with the Virginia Lancers in the in the East Coast League. So like what were those few years going up in in growing up in the in the minors and just being able to like experience everything you did? I know you said you had a great time in Milwaukee. It's like just to have that come up from the coast all the way up to the age or to the IHL at the time and then going up into the NHL. I think it's it's necessary for goalies because you, you got to play some games in the minors before you're ready for the NHL and get to learn to be a professional and what that means. And, you know, there's a million stories I can tell about those times, but I think the, the ones away from the rink are always the funniest ones. And we were on a coach bus in the East Coast League going up to play Knoxville from Virginia. And we got to the game, and it was a sleeper bus, and they couldn't wake any of us up. There was a carbon monoxide leak back by that trap door by the bathroom. And we, we had to go to the hospital because no, they couldn't wake us up. So all of our agents were just calling up the team and whining. Like you almost killed our players and all this, how you, you got to fix this. This is bull, bull crap. Well, we get to our next road trip and it's the same bus. It looks exactly like the one from Slapshot, except with sleepers in it. And they're fixed at that trap door at the back to seal it up. So we didn't get carbon monoxide poisoning it was two little wraps of gray tape, duct tape around it. And so you're trying to sleep on this road trip, wow. wondering if you're going to go to sleep and not wake up and stuff like that. Meeting Jeffrey Dahmer, the serial killer in Milwaukee. That was another one that was kind of greasy. But um, at the end of the day, the stuff that happens away from hockey are always the biggest memories that you have. Yeah, it's cool making a glove save and all that stuff. But I think the, um, the funny stuff away from the rinks, kind of the most interesting and then there's one other one I guarantee none of your listeners would know unless they've played in the NHL. And, you know, in the NHL, when you have an upper deck and a lower deck, there's 18 to 20,000 people there. Yeah. And there's a, a palpable delay in their cheering. So like, say down in your glove side corner, you make a glove save and you have it in your glove, you know, you've got it. The cheering hasn't started yet. There's about a split second delay where you're waiting for it. So you make that glove save and you're like, okay, here it comes. And then in that corner, the lower bowl starts cheering because yeah. they see what happened. And then the sound wraps around the lower bowl to like maybe 10 seconds later in the upper deck at the far diagonal corner, they're cheering 10 seconds later, just starting yeah. to cheer that save. So that delay after you make that save is like the wave to the upper deck. And that split second before anybody starts cheering is one thing you don't get anywhere else in real life where you know you've made an amazing thing. And then all of a sudden you're waiting for it and you're like, here it comes. And then boom. And the loudness is insane. And I can see why people struggle when they leave the NHL, because you're not going to get that when you go into Tim Hortons. Yeah. You're not going to get that when you go into a classroom or to a factory. It, there's nowhere else in the world where you get that type of a buzz. Yeah. You're, you're not going to get there. You're not going to get that anywhere else except in the NHL and just like having that atmosphere, like, must be just unreal and then like with when you put everything together like you're playing in the NHL you have like the atmosphere is crazy like it's just a really like great lifestyle to, to be living so in the NHL a couple other things like the the lights are brighter the ice is perfectly white the paint on the ice is perfectly red or yeah. blue the net like the posts don't have any scar marks on them they're like pristinely brand new nets white mesh no black marks on it and the jersey logo is way bigger than you thought it would be. Like, and the jersey's heavy. And the other thing I thought was cool was for your first game in the NHL, all the officials get to know your nickname. 
and they try to calm you down. So like before a defensive zone face-off, they'll be like, okay, Kieker, we're going to drop it. Here we go. Here we go. And they're talking to you to help calm you down. And you make a save and the referee comes over and chats you up and says, great save, Kieker. And I thought it was cool that they made the effort to learn your nickname and it helped really relax and get you into your first game in the NHL because that could be very nervous, very nerve wracking. And the NHL also assigns a, a pool photographer to take a bazillion pictures of you in your first game in the NHL. So they do it right in the NHL. It's a great experience once in a lifetime to get up to that level. And um, obviously I'll never forget it. Yeah. And like that, that, that's awesome that they just learn the rest, learn your nickname and then just to calm you down. Cause like once, once you hear that, like, you're probably just all riled up and everything and then but once you hear like the ref talking to you chatting you up and saying your nickname like that's like yeah like okay like just settle down and it's just another just another hockey game you just gotta have one job and that's to stop the puck and i think a lot of people you know when you you play at a new level you get nervous before you play at that level and you're worried like i don't want to embarrass myself i had the opposite feeling i'm like i don't care if i give up a thousand goals could care less but when i step on the ice and play a regular season NHL game, everybody else that's ever doubted me in the past and in the future can kiss my ass. And that's the way I looked at it. So I, as soon as the linesman or the, the referee at center ice looked both ends and then he dropped the puck and it hit the ice, it almost seemed like it was slow motion on that center ice faceoff. But as soon as the puck hit the ice and the clock started counting down, did it. And everybody else can kiss my ass. And that's the way I looked at it. So everybody's got to be motivated by different things. For me, it was just, just that get to the NHL. Yeah, that, that, that's unreal. I know, I know you got to get going here soon, but uh, just uh, like, that's just, that's awesome to just have like that motivate motivating factor and then to be able to do it and everything. And like all, all the doubters can, all the doubters like that, that have ever doubted you were completely wrong and you're able to tell them off then tell them that you uh played at the nhl level like that that there's no better feeling than that no question yeah but uh keeks thank you so much for coming on the show i really appreciate your time and i, I want to wish you the best of luck going forward with all your camps and everything and uh this is a lot of fun i appreciate you having me on and you got a great podcast going and everybody can check out all my free videos on the future pro youtube channel People can email me at any time at infofuturepro.com. I'll help you free of charge if you have any clips you want an NHL goalie coach to help you with. So any of your goalies out there, young beer leaguers, whatever, reach out to me and I can help you out as well. Yeah, awesome. It's a great thing you're doing and uh, no better way to, to learn from, from an NHL goalie coach. All right, we'll talk to you later. Have a good day. Yeah, you too.